You know, the Bible says if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And uh, just in positioning our hearts in his presence tonight, it's just so beautiful to feel his presence and to know his closeness. And we know that uh, whenever he comes near, he always comes near to do us good. Because he's such a good God. He's such a perfect Papa. And that whatever experience we may have had of our natural fathers growing up, and there's a whole spectrum of experience that people have had, you know, from the, from the wonderful dad to the really not so wonderful dad at all. But wherever your experiences are on that spectrum, the beautiful thing is that we do have a perfect heavenly papa who is always good and always kind and never ever turns us away and only wants the very best for us. And he's here by his spirit. This is the kind of God that we have that loves to draw near to us, to do us good as we open our hearts to him. And um, it really is a joy to, to be with you again tonight and just share some things that God has put in our hearts. And um, I was speaking this morning. How many of you here were, were here this morning and heard me? Okay, pop your hands on. How many weren't? Okay, I just want to be sensitive to that because um, I just don't want to assume anything. So, so that's helpful to know. The majority of you were here, but some of you weren't, and that's fine. I was saying this morning that for Jesus... His greatest delight in terms of his own identity as a person was being known as a son. And this was his self-designation, the son of man, which actually um, is a divine title because in Daniel 7, he sees someone like the son of man coming to the ancient of days. And this is a sign of Jesus' divinity. Anyway, he, it's a son. He he's, sees himself as a son in relationship with somebody who is his perfect papa. And he didn't describe himself as apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, although he was every one of them in the fullness of their expression. So the things that we want to go after and the things that really charm us and attract us for Jesus, they weren't priorities because for him, his priority was intimacy of relationship with his papa as a son. And I really believe that Jesus' priorities are to be our priorities. And I honestly believe in this little statement. The Son of God became a Son of Man that the sons of men might become sons of God. Amen. 
I, I love that statement, so I'm going to say it again, all right? The Son of God became a Son of Man, that the sons of men might become sons of God. And it's because he loves us. He is so desirous that all that he has put in us in terms of our uniqueness, and, and everybody in this room is unique. You can tell by facial expression, but the uniqueness is shown in just in our makeup, the fact that everybody's fingerprint is completely different to the next person's. And when you go on a, a DNA level, our DNA is so unique. And God has created us, each one of us, incredibly individual. That is, we're not like anybody else. And his desire is that something of his creative genius gets displayed through the incredible individuality that each one of us has. So he's, he's drawn us close in order that in through relationship with him, we might come into the fullness of what he intended us to be, which is mature sons. And uh, like the prophetic word this evening, uh, we approach him as children in childlikeness because that is the way that we enter into more of the kingdom. Remember Jesus brought a little child amongst them and says, unless you become like this little child, you cannot even enter the kingdom. And so our entry into the kingdom was with childlike heart attitude. Our entry into more of the kingdom is going to be with childlike heart attitude. But God wants us to have childlike heart attitude as the means by which we come into more of him and greater dimensions of what he has for us. And so what I'd like to do is to share from a verse tonight. Uh, this is a verse that... Uh, I've known for many, many years. It's in Colossians chapter 1. But in the last, I guess, month or so, this verse, like the Holy Spirit has taken it off the back burner and brought it onto the front burner. You know, you ladies, or some, perhaps some of you men too who cook, understand that the back burner is where it's a bit out of reach and you just let that sizzle. But when you want to work on something, you bring it to the front burner. And it's like this verse that's been on the back burner... Um, God has brought to the front because I believe it's something he wants to say to his church. And this verse highlights Paul's apostolic priority. This is what Paul is really captivated by in terms of his apostolic calling and apostolic mission. When I say apostolic, I mean representing heaven's priorities into earth. This is what the apostolic is all about. An emissary, a sent one, an ambassador that carries another kingdom's priorities into the kingdoms of the world. And this for Paul is his apostolic priority, okay? Colossians 1 verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing every man, and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete 
or mature in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. The apostolic priority of Paul is to present every person that he works with complete, mature, fully formed in Christ. And everywhere that he goes, he is drawing out potential and making it reality. He is taking people from where they are and by his ministry of the Spirit, so pouring into them that they don't stay where they are, but they come into a fullness. And so he goes into a town where Timothy is and sees Timothy that everybody thought, what a nice young man. You know, he's got a great mom. He's got a great grandma. And he goes in there and says, I want Timothy to travel with me. And he takes a hold of Timothy and what is potential in Timothy, Paul, by pouring into him, releases him into a stature and, in, and he becomes the ministry that Paul saw when he visited and because of Paul's ministry, he came into the fullness of it. And you have been saved and you have been called not to stay where you are. But that you might come into the fullness of the stature that is who you truly are in God, who he sees you to be when he created you from before the, chose you from before the foundation of the earth, when he created you in your mother's womb, he wants all that potential that's in you to come to maturity. You understand, though, that maturity is a process. It, it just doesn't happen, huh? You know, sometimes you think, I wish. But we've had four kids. They're all adults now. But it's been a process. And there have been some challenging times, as well as joyous times. And there's been tears as well as laughter, along the way, as they grow up. And it's our joy to now relate to our children as adults. And as delightful as they were when they were kids, there is something very beautiful about having a relationship with my children, but they're no longer children, they are adults. And they are adults in a way that I'm not an adult because they have a gift mix that I don't have. And so it's just great to see them come into the fullness of of who they're intended to be. And and it is just the delight of my heart because... The four of them, they're all so different and and each brings a a different joy to my heart as they demonstrate a a maturity that they didn't have when they were children. There is a delight that our Father wants to have from every one of you. Not because 
you're always coming to him and asking him, but that you've learned to walk with him in maturity where he can have heart connection and conversation and shared life with you and you can bring something to him that only you can because he made you the way that he did, not only for your benefit but for his benefit because you're made to bring blessing to his heart. And Paul carries this apostolic priority to work with the Spirit to see what's in people come to fullness of maturity. And so whatever our maturity is, it's to be truly authentic to who we are and to increasingly look like who Jesus is. Because he is the ultimate son. So, how he was in this world, this is how we're to be in this world as sons. So I just want to outline a few things in terms of what does it mean to walk in maturity as sonship because that's how Jesus did it. He is the perfect example. He is the ultimate template for us of how to walk in maturity in, in sonship. And the first thing that Jesus, I'd like to point out that Jesus did, is that, you know, from eternity past, he was in fellowship with his father, and when he came to the earth, that fellowship was completely unbroken, that he lived in his father's love and his father's presence in eternity past. And when he came to earth, he fully lived in his father's love. So he was a man that was bathed in love. Is in a world he experienced the love of his heavenly papa. And every other son is destined to live the same way to experience on the inside the unconditional, eternal love of Heavenly Papa. Yeah. That just brings a peace to the inside of our hearts. Isn't it just wonderful to know that I am loved and you are loved perfectly by perfect love? Yeah. I just am. Because his loving of me is nothing to do with me, you understand. His loving of you isn't a reflection on you. It's a reflection on who he is. Because he is perfect love. And so often in our society, we receive things because of performance. If we do this, then we'll get that. And, and, and this is the, the cycle of mentality that we've grown up with in this world, that it becomes performance. If you are good, then you will get a benefit. If you're not, then you've got to get trouble. And so we, we've grown up, so many of us, with, with performance, but... His love is unconditional and it doesn't reflect on our performance. It 
reflects upon who he is. So that's why at Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan, he hadn't even started his ministry. He had performed no miracle. He had done nothing to proclaim the gospel in terms of what he had come to do yet. And yet when he gets baptized, his heavenly father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. His love, the love of the father, was not based upon Jesus' performance. It was based upon the father's nature. It's a wonderful place to come where we simply live in his love because this is who he is toward us instead of trying to please him. If I am aligned with him, I'm already pleasing him. I don't have to do anything in order to earn or deserve his love. And so mature sons live in love. Mature sons, both men and women, when I use the word sons, are shaped and filled with love that brings its own environment of peace into our inner world. In this relationship of love, the Father <coughs> wants to speak words into our lives that shape our souls. We are constantly hearing words and we are constantly hearing voices and messages in our world that want to shape us. And so society has norms that they want to, sh that wants to shape us by. You know, it's like what you're wearing, what is in fashion, what is currently approved of in society. And God wants to shape us by his realm and his words of love, which bring affirmation and peace to our heart and cause us to be shaped according to eternal destiny. So Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, present, continuous tense, out of the mouth of God. And so when I get shaped by what he says, I get established in my identity. I realize who I am for me. And it produces a a real sense of security in I have an identity that comes from my Heavenly Father. Now, people might think I'm a complete loser. But what my Heavenly Father thinks <coughs> is the most important because that's what is to shape my inner world. Yes. And Jesus was so secure in who his heavenly father said he was, that when the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees, spoke evil and negative about him, it never troubled his inner world because he was completely secure in the words and the shaping of his heavenly papa. And God wants us to be shaped by his words. What he whispers into your heart is to shape and establish and cause you to be rock-like.
because you can build your life on what he says and who he says you are. And the most precious thing in my life is to hear his words because they give me my identity. And the more I hear his words, the less I'm shaped by the world's words and the less I am troubled by what people say because I am more secured by what he says. Isn't it wonderful to be so loved? To have a, a perfect papa who so wants to shape you. And the thing is, he perfectly understands how he made you more than anybody else. So when he speaks, his words resonate and they bring such a sense of affirmation and peace and a sense of grounding in your heart. His words can touch you like no other words. And so all that the father said the son was, the son was established in heaven's identity. If that was Jesus, then that's to be the same with us. And from this place of being loved, and from this place of being affirmed by words of life, Jesus then comes into a world which is broken and fractured, and hostile. And he can bring something with him that's a completely different culture to the one that exists. Because in his heart, he's living in a relationship with his heavenly father where his father honors him. Where his father has said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the son, by living in love, by hearing words of love, lives on the inside in a culture of honor, where he's honored by his father. And because he's honored on the inside, because he's received honor, when he comes to people, he can give honor. And however they've been treated in the past, whatever have been their experiences, when Jesus meets a person, he communicates honor to them. They might have known hostility and they might have known judgment and they might have known condemnation. But when they meet Jesus, they experience his inner world, which is a world of honor and they feel honored. Isn't that what happened to the woman who was caught in adultery? And the baying crowd have caught her in the act. Why they didn't drag the man, I don't know, but they dragged her. And they are wanting to stone her and kill her. And they say to Jesus, the law of Moses demand that we stone her. The reality was they were such a bunch of hypocrites that that was no longer taking place in their society. They weren't doing it, but they expected Jesus to do it. So they said, this is what the law of Moses says. Are you going to do it? 
And of course, he just bends down and he starts writing what he writes. I have no idea. But he makes this astounding statement. He who is without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. The scripture says, starting with the oldest, they began to leave. Why? Because the oldest realized they had a longer list of sins than the youngest. And so they go sloping off until the young realize we're not without sin either and they go sloping off and the reality is Jesus is left with his lady and the one who has no sin has the right to stone her and he says I don't condemn you just go and sin no more a man who lives in honor can see who a person is and give honor instead of reflecting society's attitudes and brokenness to others. This is the call to maturity. That we learn to conduct relationships in honor. It means for us, we learn to receive honor, which means respect from above. So that as I receive respect, I learn to give respect. As Marge receives honor and respect, she learns to give respect. And that we learn to be respectful in relationships by giving honor. Being dishonorable says more about the person than the person who is receiving the dishonor. You understand? Yes. So I learn, and I'm learning. I, I, I really don't want anybody to think I'm perfect. You understand? No. If you want to check it, ask Marge. She will confirm this. But I'm learning to come to maturity in my sonship. I'm learning to live in love. I'm learning for his words of love to shape my inner world. I'm wanting his honor to shape me so that I'm honorable as a person. I receive honor and give honor. I receive respect and give respect. I want relationships to be honorable and respectful. Not just in the church, you understand, but it's when I'm speaking to the cashier at the checkout. When I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing. This is the incredible call into sonship that God is calling us to. This is the apostolic priority of Paul. I want to present every person complete in Christ. But if we are to come to maturity, there are a number of things we have to do. Number one, I must take responsibility for me. And I have to take responsibility for how I come across. 
And whatever has been my background, and whatever has been the things that have affected me, I cannot allow those things to be given reasons for how I am. I must take responsibility for me. This is my space. This is my world. I'm responsible for it. And what we do, what I have done, what I can still do, is instead of taking responsibility for this space, I start taking responsibility for that space. And demand that this person changes because I'm taking responsibility for this space. And I have no responsibility for that space at all because I'm responsible for this space. What I've discovered amazingly, amazingly, is if I take responsibility for this space, then this space responds by taking responsibility for her stuff instead of trying to take responsibility for my stuff. And it means that our relationships become more wholesome because we are focusing on where we have responsibility, not where we don't. And even in, in training our children, we're helping them take responsibility for their own lives by understanding they have choices. Because God has given everybody free will, okay? Everybody has a gift of free will. And God never, ever will force you to do anything because that will violate his gift to you of free will. But since we have the capacity to make choices because we've got free will, then we're training ourselves to make those right choices as we take responsibility. I take responsibility for this space. It's a bit like our house has got a fence with the adjacent houses either side. I am responsible for the state of my garden. Thank you, Jesus. It's not very big. So I haven't got a big lawn to cut. We moved house just a couple of months ago, downsized very purposely for that reason, that the garden, the size of the garden that we once had, we don't have. So I've got a smaller garden that's a whole lot easier to cut the lawn. Takes a fraction of the time that it did. Thank you, Lord. I'm so blessed. Now, I am responsible for my space on this side of the fence. You understand? It is not my responsibility if somebody else's garden needs cut. It's not my responsibility to climb over the fence and go trying to fix their garden, pull their weeds, cut their lawn. It's not my responsibility. If their garden is filled with weeds, and it isn't, by the way, but if it is, I can stand at the fence and encourage them to cut the lawn and do the garden, but I am not responsible for climbing the fence and dealing with their stuff. Why? Because this is my space. The garden is my garden. That is their responsibility. Can I say, in pastoral ministry, I am not responsible for digging somebody else's weeds. They are responsible for addressing their own weeds. 
It may feel really good to me at the time to nip over the fence and yank out a weed and it may make me feel good, but it doesn't help them and long term it doesn't help our relationship because I violated their space. <coughs> Maturity means I can take care of me and I can release you to take care of you. And I am not climbing the fence to sort your stuff. It's your responsibility to take care of your stuff. I will encourage you. I will help you if you need, but I'm not going to do it for you, and you are responsible for your stuff. That's true. Is that okay? Yeah. You think, well, that seems a bit harsh, and Actually, it isn't. It's love. Yeah, actually, if I <coughs> do it for you, you get to live dependent on me, and that's not good for you, and that's not good for me, because it's codependency in relationship, and codependent relationships always end in heartache. Because we were never meant to lean on other people, we were meant to lean on the Lord himself. So, first thing I want to say is this, in coming to maturity, Take responsibility for yourself. Is that okay? Said in love. Yeah. Take responsibility. Number two is this. In coming to maturity, in any growing up process, you cannot grow up without making mistakes. Part of the course, isn't it? None of us, none of us were born came out of our mother's womb with the ability to walk. Would you agree? We had the ability to cry and yell and fill our nappies and do all sorts of stuff, but we did not have the capacity to walk. Now, thank God, tonight I walked in. Something to cheer, isn't it? Yeah, I walked in. There was a time when I had to transition from the crawling stage to the walking stage. Did I do that perfectly first time? No. Certainly not. But I did have a couple of parents who were cheering me on. Usually, my mum would hold and my dad would say, come on. He wants his boy to walk. He wants his boy to come to maturity. And if I fell over, was I scolded? No, I was cheered for having a go and even if I made a mistake, I was still cheered on. I believe God wants us to develop a culture where it's great to take risks yeah. and it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. As long as we take responsibility to clear up our mess. Yeah. Because none of us know how to do things perfectly first time around all the time. And if we make a mistake, we go, hey, I messed up a little bit there, but I'm happy to clean it up. I'm happy to sort out what I've made, and I'm going to learn from it so that I can achieve what God wants me to achieve with what I've got. I really believe it's time for the church to become less risk-averse. It's okay to take risks. It's good 
to have a go if God is leading you into something. And if you don't get it right, isn't it great to develop a culture in the church where we cheer risk, not just cheer success? Where we celebrate the fact that somebody had a go, even if they didn't do it perfectly, at least they had a go. And we go, go for it. Next time you might do it even better, but we are celebrating risk. I'm going to ask Marge to share here about a, a prophetic seminar that she was in recently. And uh, I was so blessed by what she gave me as feedback. So I let her talk about that and take this mic off me. And there you go. So we were um, at a leadership conference in California at Bethel Church. And there was a breakout session I went to, which was um, training in the prophetic. And um, I think it was advanced prophetic, actually, so we were taking risks. And he, um, the guy leading it asked us all to find somebody we didn't know. And we had to tell them three things about their childhood. You know, name their, say how many sisters they had, say how many brothers, this kind of thing. And so we all have a go. And at the end, he said, um, so how many people got uh, three right? Because we had three things, and some people put their hands up. How many got two right? Put your hand up. How many got one? I think I put my hand up at that point. And then he said, how many got none right? So a number of people put their hand up, and he said, you get a standing ovation for taking a risk. So we all had to stand and clap these people for having a go. So then he did it again, and it was something else. It was like four things, and he did the same thing. At the end, those who didn't get it right get a standing ovation. And it was such fun because by the third time he had us do it, those who didn't get it right all stood up and cheered themselves because they were so excited that they were the only ones that got a standing ovation. And it was just that they developed this culture of we're cheering you on just because you had a go. Sure. Isn't that brilliant, huh? And so we develop a culture as we grow to maturity of cheering one another on, celebrating who one another are, yeah, so what if we make a mistake? We get to learn. This is a brilliant opportunity to learn. This is a brilliant opportunity to do, to do things better. And it develops just a culture of affirmation and love and celebration of who one another are. And look, I could say a whole lot of things tonight, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to say one more thing. Mature sons are those that are led by the Spirit. Jesus had the Spirit without measure. We, are, we have more of the Spirit, more of the measure of the Spirit that we can come into, and it's our hungering and thirsting for more of the Spirit that releases more of the Spirit to us, okay? So, as many who are as led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God, says Paul in Romans 8. So sons are led by the Spirit. And for us to come into maturity of sonship, God wants us to hunger and thirst for more of the Spirit that we are increasingly led by the Spirit. 
Now, this confronts an immature response in Western Christianity. I'm speaking about Western Christianity because that's what I know about more than any other kind. Where people feel that they must get connected to the pastor for the pastor to lead them. And I'm not against pastors pastoring people. I think that is completely right. I have, Marge and I, have a couple who are our pastors. We will go to them and share our hearts with them, and they pastor us and help us. And I'm really grateful for that. But we don't call them every day, you understand? Or every week, or even every month. We call them when we need them, when there's an issue that comes up. The vast majority of our lives, we want to receive the Spirit to be led by the Spirit. And so, maturity comes from dependency and leading of the Spirit who leads us into all truth. And I had to wise up in my pastoral ministry, which I did for many years in this area, that when people would come to me and ask me, what should I do? Or what do you think is the right way? I began to wise up to realize I needed to ask them the question, have you spoken to Jesus or the Holy Spirit about this first? Because if you haven't, you're coming to the wrong person. And again, it's not that I want to be unkind, but I am training people in immaturity if they're coming to me first without going to the Holy Spirit. And I want all of us to grow in intimacy and relationship and dependency of the Spirit, not that you never require the help of other people, but that people are not your primary calling point. It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going to give you my Spirit. It's better for you that I go, because if I go, I'm going to give you my Spirit. And the Father's delight is when his kids receive even more of his spirit to hear his voice and by walking in his spirit develop a maturity of sonship that brings glory to him. This is a really strong conviction right now for me. I really believe that it's time for the sons of God to come to maturity because this is what society has been waiting for the, the society is waiting for the sons of God to come into the fullness because we are going to release creation from its bondage to decay because the love that we're living in, the freedom that we're living in, the identity of sonship that we're enjoying is speaking prophetically and powerfully to our nation. You can live in freedom. You can live in wholeness. You can live in love. You don't have to live ensnared in a bondage to some lesser stuff when you can live in relationship with Heavenly Papa and in the whole resource that heaven has for his people. This is the apostolic priority. Yeah. What he's doing, Paul, 
is working with the energy of God to present every man complete in Christ. I would like to say to you, every true apostolic anointing and gifting has the same heart calling. It's not about his ministry. It's about people's maturity. Parenthood, as you parents well know, is not about you looking good. If you want to look good, don't have kids, for crying out loud. (laughs) But parenthood is not about you looking good. Parenthood ultimately is about your kids coming to maturity because in them coming to maturity, it just brings a delight to your heart. It's not about me developing my ministry. It's about me developing maturity in people. If I choose to develop maturity in people, this develops my ministry. But developing my ministry is not the most important thing. It's the maturity that's in the body of Christ. And so I trust that you're going to catch something of our heart tonight, as Marge and I have shared. We love you deeply. We thank God for you. The call of God on your life is amazing. And our heart's desire is that you would take a hold of these things that I've shared in brief with you tonight. That you might come to maturity. That you might carry God's heart and weight into the world and through your sonship, your maturity of sonship, that you would cause other people to come into the liberty of the sons of God. What I would say is that this word about childlikeness or humility is the door opener to more of the kingdom. That as we humble ourselves, That's where we receive grace. That's where we receive anointing. That's where we receive what God has for us. So can I pray for you? Is that okay? Can I pray for you? Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for these precious, precious people. I thank you that you have called them to be your sons, to come to the maturity of Christ. Thank you that all of us have been called to that. And Father, we just say in Jesus' name that your grace might rest heavily upon each of these precious people that from tonight they shall come from one degree of glory to another degree of glory of sonship and might carry a maturity that brings blessing not only to their own lives but to every person around them and to the environments in which they move. So we bless you in Jesus' name to carry glory and bring maturity to your world around you. In Jesus' name, amen.